Hey everyone, this is Under the Surface, and you're tuned into Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. We're also live streaming on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And I'm Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me today. My guest for today is Eduardo Samaniego, a strong advocate for immigration rights and immigration reform. Eduardo is a student at Hampshire College, currently pursuing a concentration in constitutional law and education policy here in Massachusetts, but his residence is in the state of Georgia. Eduardo came to this country from Mexico as a minor with a visa, but while he was still a minor, he lost his legal status. His efforts to fix his immigration status were unsuccessful, so Eduardo has lived in the United States as an undocumented immigrant ever since. Despite graduating with honors and as the president of the student body for his high school in Georgia, he was unable to attend college in his home state of Georgia as a result of the Georgia Board of Regents Policy 416, which bans undocumented youth from attending Georgia's top public universities, and Policy 434, which I think was also in effect then, but we'll find out, which bans undocumented students from in-state tuition. Eduardo did not qualify for DACA, the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals program under Obama, because he was already 16 years old when he came to the United States with a visa. In order to qualify for DACA, you have to be under 16 before entering the U.S. Since his high school graduation, Eduardo has become an organizer for immigration reform and advocate for access to education for all. And in 2014, after much hard work, he was awarded a full scholarship to Hampshire College here in Massachusetts. Eduardo has traveled to more than 40 colleges and high schools to share his story with others in order to demonstrate the need for immigration reform. He's also a youth and workers organizer with the Pioneer Valley Workers Center. He's been active in the Sanctuary City movement right here in the Pioneer Valley and has been helping to organize sanctuary for undocumented immigrants in churches throughout Massachusetts. A big part of Eduardo's work has also been to organize with undocumented youth or DREAMers across the state of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Massachusetts, and many other states to advocate for what he describes as a clean version of the DREAM Act, one that does not criminalize communities and grants a path to citizenship to DREAMers and those with DACA. The DREAM Act is a bipartisan bill that was first introduced to the Senate back in 2001 to help protect young immigrants from from deportation and has been introduced many times, including 2017, but it's yet to pass. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest to the show. Thanks for joining me for this conversation, Eduardo. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. First off, I'd, I'd love to hear about your personal story. What brought you to this country? Um, did you come here completely on your own? Uh, well, yes, I actually, um, I came here with, with a visa. I, um, I actually, you know, growing up, I always wanted to come to the United States. But my family, um, you know, we lived in a very uh, small town, and uh, we didn't have any resources, and we had to work very hard. We, uh, I grew up in a farm farm in Mexico. We had to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning every single day. And so I always had, you know, the dream of coming to the United States so I could pursue my education. And so um, after years of begging my family, you know, to help me come to the United States, um, you know, I made him, um, you know, realize that I really wanted to come here and, and that I wanted to continue my education. And so, you know, through a lot of efforts, you know, we for years we saved so I could apply for a visa. 
for years, we, you know, saved our money so I could make, you know, the travel to the uh, United States consulate in Mexico. And eventually I was granted a visa. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my mother actually came with me to the United States, um, but she uh, left me with my auntie, who is uh, the only family member that I had in the United States. And so uh, she went back right away. You know, she only um, came with me and then she left me. Uh, so I could take classes, you know, in English classes. So I could go back to Mexico and just have that advantage of, you know, speaking another language. But uh, my situation, I, if you remember, uh, 2009, that's when I came. And, you know, everybody was struggling with, you know, financial financially because the recession was, was hitting every, you know, American family across the country. And so my family that was here was no exception. And so they pretty much lost everything they had. And so eventually I ended up living with a pastor from church. Mm-hmm. And so he actually took me into his home and he supported me. Uh, he brought me into his home and he supported me through my last year of high school. And so, um, you know, when I was, I lived with a pastor and uh, it was, I really had, you know, uh, a um, an experience that it was, it was just really, um, you know, I never imagined that I would get that far, you know. I never imagined that I would be homeless in a country that I didn't know. I didn't imagine that I would not have my family. And I wouldn't. Ima- I never imagined that I, you know, could be in a country completely by myself, not speaking the language, you know. But I did have the support of so many good people that, you know, came out to my help, that saw my situation, and who took me in. And so that's why eventually... Um, you know, through the process of just being homeless and being in the United States on my own, eventually my visa expired. And um, at that time, I was focused on surviving. I was focused on graduating from high school. And I never thought about my my status, you know, losing my visa and really becoming undocumented for all intents and purposes. I never knew that there was millions of people who were undocumented in the United States. Yeah, I was completely clueless to that reality. And so little by little, I was waking up to that. So um, just to back that, up, that, just yeah. to back up a bit. Um, I know I listened to your TED talk on the internet from 2014. And you said you were very unhappy while growing up in Mexico. Um, and you said you told your mother that you felt like you were in a cage. So uh, you mentioned that you worked on a farm, you had to get up early. I'm just curious to get a stronger sense of what um, really compelled you to want to come to the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So I you know, for for all those, um, days that, you know, we had to just wake up very early in the morning. Um, My mother had to work far away from home in order to pay the bills. And I was raised by my grandparents. Mm -hmm. My grandparents were loving people. They worked very hard. But I knew that we could never afford, you know, for me to go to high school or for me to go um, to college. And so that's where the idea came that, you know, I wanted to come to the United States. And to see those opportunities, you know, to be able to speak English, go back, and then, you know, um, surely have a better future with those skills that I would gain. Um, But, you know, uh, life changes and, you know, things are unexpected just come your way. And so, you know, the way I think that the the most important thing, Amy, that really changed my mind and and inspired me to think of the United States as as a place where I could, you know, make my life is the fact that everyone around me has always described 
the United States as a country of liberty and freedom, mm -hmm. where all your dreams can come true. And I know that people right now, we're all very, very um, hypocritical. And, and I think that those thoughts and believing that America is that way are fading. But that's what I believed. And mm -hmm. that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And that was my reality. That was the thing that inspired me to think that I could do so much more for the people that were, for my, myself, sure, for my family, but also for a lot of people like me who wanted to go to college and wanted to have a better future. Mm -hmm. So I think that a huge deal was um, when Nancy Pelosi became the Speaker of the House and then Barack Obama got elected as president in 2008. And I think those, I think that people cannot conceive how powerful that is for a little kid in the middle of, of a farm, in the middle of a, of a you know, small town of Mexico, and throughout so many other countries, that we saw that, and, we, and that really impacted a lot of us, and we saw the United States for the best it could offer. Mm -hmm. We really did. Uh -huh. And, and, I, and as, as I now know politics, and I, as I now am invested in politics and our immigration system and how broken it is and how broken our politics are, Sometimes, yes, it is difficult to look back and, and, and get into that little, you know, uh, my, my former self and believing all those things. But that's truly what brought me here, mm -hmm. the message of hope. Right. And when you were applying for college, was that around the time that you discovered? Uh, I mean, how, how did you learn that you no longer were documented? How did you learn about your legal status? So um, in 2010, there was... Um, There was a, the, the University of Georgia recruited me, um, myself and about 20 other students. All of us, we had 4.0 GPAs. We were student body presidents of our, of our high schools. We were president, you know, I was president of Hispanic Honor Society, president of Junior Achievement of Georgia. And I was very active in my high school, just then, about two years after coming here and barely learning English. But I wanted to go to college so badly that I invested all my efforts in doing that. And so I was recruited by the University of Georgia for a whole week. They showed us their institution, their professors, and really everything they had to offer. And so I went back to my counselor and I told her, you know, I, I want to go to the University of Georgia. And so I, I, you know, day after day, I filled out my applications, my letters of recommendation. And I remember walking into her office, my advisor's office. And telling her, you know, I'm ready to, to send my application. So she reviewed everything. And, uh, you know, she, she started crying. I remember that very clearly. And she wow. said, this is probably one of the most powerful essays that I've ever read. I can't believe you've done this, you know, on, on this little time that you had and as without your family here. And then she said, you know, all we have to do is, you know, your application is ready to send. Just put your social security number here at the top on this corner. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think I have one. And just I was completely clueless to what a social security number was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know my status. Mm -hmm. I, that's something that never crosses the minds of young children. For mm -hmm. sure. mm -hmm. And so I remember that then, you know, she started explaining and asking more questions. And then she said, Eduardo. I think you are an illegal alien. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know, what, what do you mean? And then she explained it. And I left, you know, her office 
with my dreams basically on my hands just mm-hmm. you know I was I was devastated yeah. I was broken mm-hmm. and I I couldn't apply to the University of Georgia because just that October of 2010 the Georgia Board of Regents had banned all students who didn't have a social security number from applying to any college that for the past two years hasn't accepted all citizens. And so, you know, in this case, it applied to the five top colleges in Georgia at the time. Yeah, I read about that, and I didn't quite understand it. These colleges that, if they, can you explain that a little bit more, the part about all, if they right. haven't accepted all the qualified, you mean all, all the ones with legal status that are they consider qualified? Yes. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter. So basically, the, the policy reads as this, uh, literally. Um, any college that for, for the past two years hasn't accept, accepted all qualified citizen students um, shall not accept any students without a social security number. So let's say, you know, the University of Georgia has accept 30,000 students, right? Mm-hmm. And But there is, um, you know, they, they don't accept, you know, they turn turn away about 100. So if they don't accept those hundreds, then that means that people such as myself, you know, that don't matter how long we've lived here, don't no matter, you know, mm-hmm. our, our immigration status, if we don't have that social security number, we can't even apply to this college. Mm-hmm. And, and just imagine this, you know, there is, there is many people who actually live in the town, in the college town of the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. This is people that grew up there. This is people who paid taxes their entire lives there, but who happen to have DACA and who are undocumented. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a shame, and that is their policy right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I know that you mentioned that there was a period of time when you were actually homeless in the United States. Can you tell us briefly what happened there? Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, you know, my, my family that I was living with, you know, they were in a very tight financial situation. Eventually, um, you know, it was it was a place where we literally didn't have anywhere to go. And so I personally, um, I was taken in by by my friends first. And so I, w- I went from a trailer, living in a trailer with my friends who took me in and, and their families to living in a, in a house from people that I, you know, uh, I had met in in school and other friends eventually until I ended up at the pastor's home who was a stable home for me. Um, but, you know, throughout this process, I actually, you know, sometimes would sleep at my high school. And I slept for about, you know, four days, you know, in a row um, at, at a time. And, you know, I, I slept there. And, and you know, this time I was already the student body president of my high school. Mm-hmm. And, I know that for a lot of people, this seems like almost, you know, as as is is real. But you know, this happens, and this happens right before our eyes. And I was lucky to have people that came to my help. Um, but that was my situation at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your TED talk, you mentioned that instead of your high school diploma, you got a piece of paper that said banned. Uh, can you explain what you meant by that? I mean, were you able to graduate from high school and get an actual diploma? Yes, yeah, so um, I graduated in 2011, and in 2011, I, you know, I was sitting on stage the day of my graduation. I was able to bring my mother from Mexico with a visa 
to see me graduate, I was leading my graduating class into the graduating ceremony. I sat on stage next to my principal as the student body president of the largest high school in Cobb County. Um, and so, but yeah, I feel like I was, I was using imagery to describe how it felt. The moment that was oh, supposed I see. to be okay. perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps the, you know, the, mo- the happiest moment uh, to that day of me achieving something and that I worked so hard for, but I knew that instead of, you know, everyone was getting a diploma, but I myself, you know, have been trying so hard to get into college, but all I would get back was, I'm sorry, but because you have, you don't have a social security number, we can't accept you. We can't give you any financial aid. And no matter your GPA, your academic status, um, you know, all that matter, all the work that I did, all that matter was that I just didn't have a a piece of paper, you know, a, right. a, a small document that, you know, for like stopped me from, from achieving that dream of going to college. Right, because you literally, um, it wasn't just the top universities, it was um, any university that you wouldn't be able to afford because it would, you, wouldn't, you weren't eligible for the in-state tuition in Georgia, correct? Yes. Yes, in 2008, uh, the Georgia Board of Regents also took away in-state tuition from undocumented students. And so uh, not only from undocumented students, from really from refugees, uh, from uh, students that had a U visa, you know, who were victims of violence. And so now, even if we pay taxes that we do in the state of Georgia, we can't get um, access to in-state tuition which basically means that, you know, you graduate, you don't have access to any state grants, to the Pell Grant, to any federal financial aid, even though we pay taxes just like any other resident. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it is. Yeah. I have so a question even, even, about that. Yeah. How, how do you pay taxes without a Social Security number? So we do have a tax ID number. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So which is like we know, which is something like yes, you know, the government doesn't care as long as we give them our local, <laughs> you know, state and federal taxes. Uh-huh. But then when we try to get any kind of benefits, that is impossible, right? And mm-hmm. so we, we we remind people all the time that undocumented immigrants do pay taxes, the great majority of us. So. Mm-hmm. But we don't get any benefit. Right. So you actually spoke out at a Board of Regents meeting, um, and you were arrested for it. Uh, what did you say, and, you know, what happened there? So um, that day was, um, was in 2013, if I remember well. There was a—it was also November 12th, so it was, it was just about maybe four or five years ago, uh, this past November 12th. And basically, my friend Giovanni, who is also who has DACA, by the way, we both um, interrupted 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 the monthly Board of Regents meeting, mm-hmm. and we basically just explained our situation, and and we just basically said, you know, my name, for example, you know, my name is Eduardo. I graduated with a 3.9 GPA. I was student body president of my high school, but because of your policies, I'm unable to apply to college. Will you lift the ban so people such as myself can continue to contribute to their community and, and you know, have a chance at a better education? Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, we both were arrested uh, for that, and, um, you know, we, we were taken to jail for that. And so that was that was my first civil disobedience in the United States, and that, that was, you know, I, I think it was, you know, I, people like myself, you know, I, I came here eight years ago, 
And but they, there is people who lived here since they were two, three months old, a year, two years, and that literally have known nothing else but but their state, yeah, their their communities. And so we wanted to make you know take a stand for those people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think everybody knows this. Well, I should let our listeners know that you you were expecting a ride to come to the studio today, and that made me think more about all the things that people who are undocumented are or people, sometimes the phrase unauthorized immigrant is used, you know, all of the ways that they're deprived of things that they need for everyday life. So was that the reason why you, you can't drive, is it, or is it because of that, your status, correct? Yes. So, um, Amy, you know, in, in the state of Massachusetts, right, I thought we like to believe ourselves to be very progressive. And I think that we are in certain, you know, aspects of, of progressivism. But when it comes to immigration, we have no policy that tells the world that we are actually a welcoming place. There is absolutely no one single policy that protects undocumented students, DACA students, um, you know, people who want to drive. There is about 23 states that have passed the DREAM Act, their state DREAM Act that gives institution to DACA students. Mm-hmm. If you know, and when Trump gets rid of DACA, the state of Massachusetts have has done nothing. Mm-hmm. We have never passed the DREAM Act, the state DREAM Act, that the only thing that it does, it doesn't provide path to citizenship because that's impossible for the state to do. It doesn't give driver's licenses because that would be another bill sometimes. But what it does, it gives in state tuition, the, mm-hmm. the, the access to go to college, and we don't have that. But also in the state of Massachusetts, unlike 13 other states, we don't give access to a driver's license to people such as myself. I can't apply to have a, you know, I can't take the test to have a driver's license because it is impossible in the state of Massachusetts. There is 13 other states from, from California to Arizona to, to, to uh, Illinois, you know, to Connecticut, to Vermont, states that provide, you know, undocumented folks such as myself access to have a driver's license so we can continue to do the work that we already do. Mm-hmm. And, I think, you know, that that really speaks a lot to a lot of people. And I think that's a case that needs to be made, that we need driver's licenses for DACA students and people like myself who are undocumented. Right. And it's interesting because I don't think, um, you know, it's the 